Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Sound and Vision is proudly sponsored by Golden Artist Colors, manufactured in upstate New York. Golden makes the best acrylics, Williamsburg oils, and core watercolors, along with mediums, textured gels, and so much more. Look, it's not a secret. If you make art, you know Golden. If you haven't used it, pick some up. You'll be hooked. You can find their materials in your local art store or online at goldenpaints.com. Gregory Crutzen is a photographer who was born in Brooklyn, New York. He's a graduate of SUNY Purchase and the Yale University School of Art, where he is now the director of graduate studies in photography. He lives and works in New York and Massachusetts. In a career spanning more than three decades, he's produced a succession of widely acclaimed bodies of work, from Natural Wonder between 1992 and 97, to Cathedral of the Pines between 2013 and 14, Beneath the Roses from 2003 to 2008, a series of pictures that took nearly 10 years to complete, and which employed a crew of more than 100 people. It was the subject of a 2012 feature documentary, Gregory Crutzen Brief Encounters by Ben Shapiro. The 2018-19 series, An Eclipse of Moths, is set amid down-at-heel post-industrial locations, including an abandoned factory and a disused taxi depot. They serve as backdrops for Crutzen's enigmatic dramas of decay and potential rebirth. A survey of Gregory's work of the previous 20 years toured the European museums from 2005 to 2008. The exhibition, In a Lonely Place, traveled to galleries and museums across Europe, Scandinavia, Australia and New Zealand from 2011 to 2013, and a major monograph was published by Rizzoli in 2013. Gregory's awards include the Skowhegan Medal for Photography, a National Endowment for the Arts Visual Artist Fellowship, and an Aaron Siskin Foundation Fellowship. He's represented by Gagosian Gallery Worldwide and by White Cube Gallery in London. I spoke to Gregory about growing up in Park Slope, his days playing in the speedies, the challenges of being a photographer in these days of image saturation, his intense process, and much more. Here's our conversation. Listen, there's no official start to these ever. <laughs> you just roll on. So, um, but you are a great candidate for this because you definitely, I mean, the band thing, playing music, moving into art, it's all there. I mean, I guess you should have been the first episode, really. <laughs> I know, it's my regret that I, in life, but here we are. <laughs> we made it happen. Um, so you grew up in Park Slope, right? I did. I grew a up New in, Yorker. I grew up in Park Slope and um, in a brownstone near Prospect Park. And my father was a psychoanalyst. Well, that sounds like a relaxing childhood. <laughs> he had his office in the basement of our home. Oh, wow. And I think when I look back at it retrospectively, that was really significant in terms of, I think, my artistic development. I think my brother and my sister, too. But... 
we all had distinct memories of like when patients came up the street, um, we knew not to acknowledge them in any way. And oh um, yeah, my father had um, sessions um, in the basement that was um, we were told to be very quiet. And I think one of my earliest memories was attempting to listen to the sessions um, as a young child, like trying to project an image of what I thought I heard. Yeah. Was it the seriousness of it that intrigued you or like made it kind of like you wanted to, you know, figure out what was going on in there? I think it was just the very nature of like having secrets and something forbidden separate from you. Um, that right. is very powerful. And if I think back at it, that's like one of my defining aesthetic memories it's, or awakenings. It's um, that idea of like trying to project a story onto something that is slightly removed from you. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, if he would have said like, yeah, I got a buddy coming over, we're going to chat downstairs, he probably wouldn't have even wanted to listen no, there's something about the formal interplay yeah. and, and the dynamic, I think, between um, domestic life and, uh, and something that's like withheld and, as I said, forbidden or secret. And I think that's a defining when it, um, tension in all my work. Yeah. So you have the, the the dynamic between that and then, you know, growing up in the city. And my sort of, um, you know, probably incorrect um, observation of people that I know who grew up in New York City is that they're always a little bit off. <laughs> Super smart, really perceptive. And I say this at, with having a son who's growing up in the city and he follows in line of very perceptive and able to seemingly filter through an onslaught of of stimulus and um but always just a little different <laughs> yeah i would include myself in that category <laughs> i think you know it's not a bad thing it just means you 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 know if you think about it growing up in that environment of so much stuff going on you know you have to be able to filter it you know i mean i had a definitely like interest in uh, development, you know, um, let's say adolescence and that, like, I became very sort of involved in the music scene of, like, going to see bands at CBGB's in Maxis, Kansas City, and started a band with um, my close friends from Brooklyn Friends um, called The Speedies. Yeah. And uh, we were playing out, you know, at various clubs, you know, from the time we were like 14, 15 years old. So I look back at it now with, I have children around that age and I can't even imagine. (laughs) That's an accelerated path of social awareness. Yeah. (laughs) And so defining in so many ways, you know, the, I mean, the bands that, I saw during that period, or you know, I saw the Ramones when I was 13 years old. Yeah, and that definitely changed my life. You know, 
so dramatically. And then, of course, like television and Blondie and Talking Heads and all those amazing, it was an amazing period. Yeah, I mean, a fertile, you know, sort of environment for music and art and where they collided, you know. Yeah, and we were a teenage band that um, were, our fan base were like the various schools around the New York. So it became like a kind of um, this like school event. Yeah. See our shows and like at Max's Kansas City and stuff. It was pretty amazing. Yeah, that's, I mean, it, just hearing the, the roster of those bands, that environment, it's kind of, uh, I get a little jealous. I mean, I did that, you know, I was in a high school band in Pittsburgh and we had like a handful of good bands, you know, some indie rock bands, but it wasn't, we, were, we weren't playing with that roster. <laughs> well, it's definitely a bygone time, you know. Um, yeah. And our, you know, our, our underground hit was a song called um, Let Me Take Your Photo. So it's all connects. And yeah, totally. Yeah, that was like, uh, wasn't that in a, used in a commercial or something? It for? was. And by the way, that's photo with a F. F-O-T-O? Nice. Well, what do you, how do you feel about, um, I feel like generationally, like I'm younger than you, I think, but I mean, I, I feel like in my lifespan, uh, the the change in technology and the change in the way that information and music and art and images, it's such a huge shift, you know what I mean? And, and thinking about that kind of, like when I was growing up, band, being in a band was such a great way to sort of meet people and you put up flyers and there was like this connected, it's like skateboarding, you know, I skateboarded and there was a culture of a visual side of it that connected really seamlessly. And then you would see like, bands like the Beastie Boys who kind of like put it all together and you know it just made sense and it was like this connective tissue and now I think maybe the internet is kind of you know usurped that but it's so different in a way and I always wonder like how I mean imagine growing up in New York City at that time there was such a you know a buzz around the event and in that kind of culture that is around a scene I don't think scenes really happen anymore I think it's a different sort of uh, phenomenon. I think it's profoundly different, and um, and it's you know definitely a period that I, I don't even think um, anyone could even so younger people could even comprehend you know. And I think about that yeah. all the time in terms of photography, you know. Um, right. And how like Instagram and social media and, and digital images have so profoundly affected our view of picture making and um, and a kind of democratic democratic uh, appetite for images, you know, which yeah. is very different from trying to make a singular photograph that has a presence and um, an authority and uh, exists on a wall, you know? Yeah. I imagine that's because I feel like as a, like as a painter and I do animation, like those mediums, 
I think more so with painting, it, there's a separation there a bit. There's more of a filter of the language of painting. And I think photo, photo, photography must be strange because it is so aligned so closely with the new highway of, of culture in a way. I think it's really interesting. I mean, like, whereas maybe I growing up, like it was about like when Fugazi and Unwound came to a basement show or something. And then that was like art in a way. And now it's like a new meme that comes out that everyone's sharing. <laughs> and it's essentially a photograph or, a, or, you know, a short video clip. And that becomes some sort of scene in a way. I don't know how to navigate it, but I like, it's interesting to see how it changed, you know. Well, what's interesting, I think, I think what's powerful about photography in general and why I'm drawn to the medium is, as I mentioned, it's like uh, democratic in a certain way and it's the currency of our culture. And we all sort of inherently understand how to read pictures and are confronted with pictures on a daily basis. And that's very different from like other forms of art, which is uh, more just by its nature, more hermetic and, and kind of privatized. Yeah. So it's the challenge, in a, in a way, it's like, it's the challenge of being a photographer is trying to create a singular vision in that kind of, um, kind of uh, enormous and overwhelming network of images. And... But if you can, if you could figure out a way to do it, or at least attempt, I think um, it could be meaningful to a much larger audience because of the inherent way we can connect to a photograph or how a photograph has a, an alliance with truth. Right. And yeah, and I think there's um, one of the interesting differences, I would imagine, between the way photography is so essential to, you know, disseminating culture in a way now is like you're you, in your photographs, you're creating the image, but I think photography, whether it's, you know, or, or just images nowadays when it comes to society, it's so much of almost like sampling or like remixing, you know, it's, there's not a lot of like from scratch anymore, <laughs> but some of my favorite music like hip hop, you know, and, and a lot of that stuff is just made from other stuff. And there's something really interesting about that, I think. But it is a kind of like an old school way to do it to where, I mean, in, it's I, I feel like in your work, it's, you know, a, I don't want to say celebrated, but it's, it's a very important part of the process that this stuff is all being set up exactly so, you know, it's, it's the, the legwork behind it that's um, informing the, the vision in a way, you know. Yeah, well, for me, always, um, what's most important is a way of seeing the world. That's yeah. like, it's the one thing any artist has is like their own particular vantage point onto um, into a world, seeing it in a way that's unlike anyone else's. And so all of the production in my pictures, you know, um, use of cinematic lighting and um, and film production, all that is in the service of trying to tell a story that feels particular and unique, if, that it feels like it's coming 
from a singular place. Um, so I don't think any of it would be of interest if it didn't have at the core of it um, a story to tell. Right, yeah. Yeah, and so much of, you know, in looking at the images, um, I spent a lot of time when I was young driving across the country and spending time in a lot of different, I mean, because the country's big and there's a lot of different areas and types of places and people. And, you know, when I look at your photos, I get a lot of them conjure up, you know, the idea of a place specific to wherever it is, whether it's middle America or a Midwestern town or whatever, you know, West Virginia, somewhere in the middle. Like, I always get that feeling, even though I don't know where a lot of times these photographs are and who the people are. But there's this sort of Americana feel to it, which I think in the current environment now, too, it's it, it becomes even more complex and interesting because of of this sort of like polarization that's happening in our country between certain places and people, you know, um, with like the show that you're working on or that you're about to hang now, or is it, uh, I don't know if it's up yet or not, but you know, that new work is that, is that heavy on your mind when you're doing this, you know, well, making when these I made, images? I made um, the body of works is it's entitled an eclipse of moss and the pictures were actually made in 2018. And, I mean, I always want to make pictures that feel first and foremost beautiful and mysterious and um, and I want them to feel like both familiar and slightly outside of time. Yeah. Um, and, um, and certainly some of the central themes in the work is there's definitely themes of alienation and brokenness and some hope of redemption, I would say. Um, and I very deliberately made them all in these kind of anonymous and uh, somewhat like um, nondescript locations and I wanted them to have a vast scale with smaller figures inhabiting um, these places. Um, and, of course, like anything else, the pictures have taken on a new meaning in this, um, in this new context. And, but they were, first and foremost, products of me just trying to make pictures that I felt would be meaningful and, and feel um, psychologically fraught. Yeah. Yeah, I guess, you know, when, whenever you make something that's representational, the climate of whatever's going on in society, it, it's interesting how it can sort of engage or, or have slightly different resonance with whatever's happening at the moment, you know. And right now is so sort of, it's such a charged, strange time, you know, that, you know, I remember the, it was like right before the total shutdown, um, my wife and, and son, we would hopped in the car and we drove to Times Square and just seeing it empty. I mean, and the few people who were out wearing masks, you know, it, we just thought to ourselves, if you would have told us like two years ago, we would drive in on a Saturday night 
to Times Square and it would be empty. You know, we never would have believed it, but it's just, um, but visually it had such a, like an impact on me just seeing it empty. You know, we have these moments in our life where um, significant events shape the way we see the world. And then after it's over, like September 11th, you know, living through that, after it's over, it's just in there, you know, it becomes part of like your, the lexicon of visual images in your brain. And I think everything you make talks to that, even if it's not explicit, you know. Well, I feel like when I'm making pictures, again, not consciously, there are at least three um, kind of competing forces um, that kind of exist and create tensions. One is just by the very nature, pictures have to refer to other pictures, you know. And so there's always a relationship between pictures I've made with the tradition and history of the medium. So they're always kind of looking backwards in one way or another um, and playing off of um, that lexicon. And then there's also your competing, also with that is your personal story, you know, your own obsessions and desires and fears and complications. And that is also expressed uh, in the pictures. And then ultimately, the pictures take on relevance to the moment that they exist in. So that's another set of dynamics. And I think that like when art is functioning in the highest degree, those three competing forces have a absolute balance, you know. Um, and that's always my hope or my ambition to have chasing that yeah right that 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 the perfect balance between them i mean in a certain way my pictures are like i go through an enormous amount of um uh energies to like remove any um sign of everyday like contemporary life there are no yeah. cell phones in it there's no all the cars and the and the houses and um, the figures they're all feel somewhat kind of outside of time and you know um, and faded and sort of slightly broken I think Um, so there's part of the pictures that feel removed from the moment and then there's also part of the ambience that feels very much of the moment. So I like that tension, you know. I think it's very hard to make a document of something directly that addresses our time, you know. Although there are great photojournalists who do that, I'm more interested in um, making images that are sort of less knowable or less fixed or less direct, that they're more ambiguous and more kind of, I guess, um, um, poetic in, in, in a certain way, you know. Yeah, like a timeless quality, right? Yeah. yeah, I'm always impressed when I see a film that has that aspect to it because I imagine it's so difficult with moving images and filming in, you know, in the environment to 
somehow, you know, blur the exactitudes of where, when, how, you know, it must, it is like a, must be painstaking to go through that. But I, and when you were talking about the dialogue that your work has, part of that being the history of images and photography, I would imagine that film, you know, um, is part of that in a sense, because I mean, there's so much of what you do is kind of feels cinematic and it feels, you know, like it could be a still from something that's, uh, I mean, anytime you freeze an image, it, it you know, and it, it implies a before and after. And I, that's what I love about painting is that you can sort of put the viewer in the space of like, you know, something either just happened or is about to happen. And there can be a real tension with that. And um, that's an advantage in a way because in film it just runs its course and then it's over. You know? Yeah, I feel like photography is very different from other narrative forms, particularly film or or literature. Um, you know, photography is very limited in terms of any capacity to s say anything at all. As you said, it's a frozen moment um, that will never reveal... Um, its story in a kind of uh, literal way. And I think that's part of why I'm drawn to photography um, because of that very nature, the open-ended open nature of all pictures, you know. And I am very much interested, interested in that moment that seems to um, exist between something before and something after. At the same time, I love movies and um, and enormous fan of uh, movies, maybe even more than art in a certain way. And, you know, so clearly my pictures have been shaped by the way movies look. So I love, and one of the things I miss profoundly now is going to a movie theater and being part of that collective dream of seeing um, light projected on a screen, which is just such a beautiful kind of dreamlike state. Yeah. Remember movies? <laughs> yeah, sort of, you know. Yeah. Um, Have you gone to a drive-in? I have. I love drive-ins. I grew up on them. I haven't gone to one since this hell happened, but I mean, if I'm going to see a movie, I would love to go to a drive-in. We went to we went to a screening locally with our children of uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. That was interesting. Oh my god. <laughs> I don't know how you feel about that movie, but that thing was that movie was so tattooed in my brain. I mean, it was one of those coming of age movies, you know. It was amazing to see how the children couldn't connect to it. They couldn't understand the references. Oh, really? It was lost on <laughs> It was completely lost on them, you know. Um, do you know Hiroshi Sugimoto's photographs of... Um, of course, yeah. I love those um, photographs he made of both in movie theaters and also in drive-ins of the whole duration of the film. Yeah. You know, in black and white and... They're beautiful. I feel I saw those. I saw a show of his. I want to say it was in D.C. Maybe I can't remember where it was, but yeah, it was just they're beautiful. They're beautiful meditations on, on 
the nature of time and the landscape and and the photographic image and really I think powerful pictures. Yeah, I have there's a few kind of artists who have shows like that or a body of work or something like that that really makes like turns things on its head and when I saw uh, Christian Marclay's piece the uh you know I, f- I forget what it was the clock yeah I mean you know things like that just like you're like wow wow that's a masterpiece yeah yeah anytime you could take film and then tweak it or you know I I like Koyana Scotsy for me like as as tedious as that can be or you know sometimes I'll show it to students and they're looking the look on their face of sheer you know pain it's almost like they're in pain watching (laughs) but I I feel like when I saw first saw that movie I was just like wow you know and then I didn't really know Philip Glass or Steve Reich or any of that music at that time and it was just so haunting and I don't know it had like there were movies like you know like Weekend like the scene in Weekend with the car crash like there's there's certain film and I'm no by no means like a, a a great you know I don't have great knowledge of film but I've seen a lot of stuff that, you know, just leaves this this mark on your brain of like how you can make work or think about things differently with images, you know, and um, yeah, that that the clock one was was one of those. I agree. <laughs> well, th- when you were making music and collaborating, and you're you know working on you know, writing songs and playing out that kind of like collaborative effort to be creative. And then the sort of the energy of performing live, I imagine is outside of the area of collaboration is a a totally different pace than the way that you are being creative in your own work. Do you sort of align more with one or the other? Or was it, I mean, for me, it was kind of like I had played music so long with people and being in bands and it got to a point to where I just didn't want to be in a van anymore driving across the country playing dive, you know, playing like little venues and and waiting for practice, like waiting for other people. And there was something almost liberating about just, okay, me in the studio. Did you have like, what was your, what's the dynamic between the way you work? My experience in being a band was fairly short-lived, but it was definitely filled with like teenage angst and... Uh, desire you know it was like um, a period of time that I think was very much about being a certain age and having a certain experience it's unforgettable to me and I don't think anything could really replace those kinds of direct experiences with an audience or um making photographs, which I started doing at a fairly sort of later. I mean, actually around the same time the band broke up, um, I um, started to become, fall in love with the medium of photography. And I think part of why I responded to it was it is an, uh, sort of by nature, it's, 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 there's an interesting kind of voyeuristic aspect to it, and there's also a stillness that I really responded to. I had difficulty um, academically, um, sort of dyslexic, and um, the nature of like test taking and writing papers and um, 
even reading was like somewhat painful for me. And I was originally, I went to SUNY Purchase and I, I thought I'd follow in the line of my um, father and try to be a psych, psychiatrist. And, but I just couldn't sort of ac academically, um, it was very, almost painful for me. And I wound up taking a photo class just by um, almost um, just um, just out of curiosity and immediately from moment one when I made my first picture, I immediately knew I could read a photograph in a way that I couldn't um, absorb other things, just the, just the frozen and mute nature of it and just the fact that I think I realize now, I think in terms of still images. and um, So it, it became immediately apparent to me that this is something I understood and, and loved. Um, but even then, like very early on, um, I was really intrigued with the intersection uh, between still photographs and the moving image. I studied with uh, a lot of great faculty there, but like this guy, Tom Gunning, who was a um, cinematic professor. Actually, um, Nola Dargis, who now is the, the lead um, film critics for the New York Times, she was in my class and we both studied him and I think we were both like separately influenced by him in different ways. But even then, like I was taking classes on Hitchcock and the 1950s melodrama and, um, and horror films. And these are things that are defining to me now, you know. Yeah, I think Rear Window is my favorite movie of all time. Yeah. And I don't know how it is defining in my making art life, but I know it is. Like, I know it's just in there or something, you know. Well, what's great for me about that film, I, I, I love all of Hitchcock's films, but that one particularly because it's really about the uncomfortable relationship between um, being a photographer and being both voyeuristic and impotent at the same time, you know, yeah. that like just so how that set sort of beautifully describes that like fascination with peering into other people's lives, but also the inability to like act, you know, right. to, to be active. And um, I don't know, I think all photographers in a certain way um, are uh, drawn to the medium by a similar kind of detachment or remove. And I think that's why um, this period is so interesting because of um, there is a certain kind of social distancing built into the sort of the whole process of making pictures. Um, something I always, I just, uh, there's a certain element in my work, I think, always of, of describe it as like being 
there, but not there. You know, you're sort of at a slight removed, peering in on a world. And um, when my pictures, I think at their best, there's a kind of coming together of uh, intimacy and detachment that is an interesting dynamic. Yeah, it's really interesting, too, to think that, you know, the person who's photographing that scene, it's like they're removed from it in a way. They're they're seeing it through a filter. They're experiencing it through the lens, through something else. But the people who sometimes are at, you know, like let's say it's a music venue event and there's a photographer taking pictures of the crowd and the band or whatever, you know, those people can be anonymous or like, you know, the event passes, but the photographer has that image that becomes their ticket to the event, but they're seeing it through that lens. You know what I mean? It's kind of like, I always have that. I, I, I feel like I'm a bad photographer in a way because I just, I never want to take photos because I have that, I'll get that feeling of like, I want to be just living it and not stepping outside and being like, okay, hold on, let's take a photograph of this. You know what I mean? But I feel like it's so important. Because I, um, I am... By nature, I'm sort of uncomfortable with cameras. <clears throat> and even when we're shooting, like, I frame the scene, but, like, I actually have a cameraman sort of making the, the actual exposures. Um, and because I want to have a direct relationship to what I see in front of me, like, yeah. to me, what's most interesting is that thing you know, that world that we created um, that only comes to life, you know, for fractions of a second, you know, when everything, you know, um, you know, the, the, the short period where it feels like there's something vital there. And so I don't tend to take many pictures um, outside of being an artist, like, I actually don't even own like a, a camera. I mean, I, on occasion I'll use, um, like I'll make a, some cell phone pictures of my kids or something. But um, to me, I'm more, I have a sort of weird, sort of disconnected um, relationship to the actual medium. Right. But it's a, it's only it's only because photography is so ingrained into our day to day and everyone can do it. It's like painters are never expected to say, "Well, I don't normally paint scenes from my daily life," you know, whereas, you know, hundreds of years ago plein air painting was your camera. You know what I mean? Right, so right. like it was a part of that process, but um with photography it's just such a I mean any everyone has access to that medium. And it's so fast now, like everything's sped up that, you know, it, it's, it, people could, there's a closer relationship between the two, I think, but you're actually, you know, you're making the painting with the photograph in a sense, like you're creating that event in a way that, that image, as opposed to just capturing an image. Well, as I sort of suggested before, it's like, you know, um, just by this very nature and it's even like Instagram is very much about just the moment and it's meant to be disposable. Like yeah. pictures have a very short life. Um, 
on uh, sort of um, on sort of in the virtual space. And I think that all photographers have have to think about that and their relationship to it and and acknowledge that like that's how ninety nine point nine percent of images work now as like um, instantaneous and disposable and um, and what's the real challenge is to make pictures that as I sort of said before are feel lasting and 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 um, permanent and physical like a physical thing that like yeah. exists on a wall that's an object um rather than a mirage right well the moment you put it in a gallery and it's framed in its large scale immediately separates it out from that you know two inch by two inch square sort of thing so it completely changes it but do you feel like say as opposed to 20 years ago when you had a show and people came and saw that work and there was the discussion about that work, do you feel like it's changed a lot, sort of the way people digest the work and see the photographic image now as opposed to, say, 20 years ago? Yeah, well, I would say that, and certainly in this circumstance, the, the, the great degree of people who will see the images will not see them sort of in a one-to-one space you know that yeah. they'll see it either on their phones or on their computer screens and i'm not against that at all i think that <clears throat> that you have to kind of accept that that that's sort of the distribution center you know way of um sort of carrying this information but there you know one hopes that like still within all of that the thing on the wall still has um, a very particular meaning in a particular place at a particular time. Yeah. Well, I think given the fact that people can't even get to a lot of museums or see things in person these days, it really heightens that sort of, you know, that dynamic and the importance of seeing something in flesh and how different it is you know, than the quote-unquote online show or whatever. I think it's this kind of um, pandemic and, and has kind of forced people into, or it's pushed this kind of virtual experience. It's it's put the pedal to the metal on that, you know, <laughs> where it was kind of inching along towards it. And like in thinking of that idea in relation to rear window, in relation to just photography in general of like creating worlds and images, it really goes back. Like I can't help but think of like Plato's cave and this idea of, you know, the, the, that everything that we're seeing is kind of this sort of realized, um, imagination in a way it's, it's our brain is formulating the world out of these images and it's, it's also subject to change and, and, you know, in the virtual aspect of things, I don't know, that really throws things for a loop. Have you have you done any kind of, or how do you feel about the whole virtual reality, augmented reality, that end of the spectrum of how images are migrating into the digital world? Um, yeah, I haven't had much direct experience with um, virtual reality, except the virtual reality that's become my life, you know. 
that we all experience on, upon you. <laughs> on, a, on a daily basis, you know, right. that like, the, you know, the, the weird paradox of like how we're all isolated yet all connected um, at the same time. It's, it's a very uneasy feeling that I think we all experience. And even now when we're like in contact with actual people, um, in actual places, it just increases the discomfort because we're so used to being in our Plato's caves. Yeah. Yeah, the idea of, you know, an opening where it's, you know, the crowded, humid opening, like even in the winter, if you have an opening and there's like a ton of people in there and it gets clammy, it's like a sauna. The idea of that happening, I just can't, you can't imagine it at this point. Or what about concerts or movie theaters yeah. or, you know, these are things we all have taken for granted and are important um, kind of ritualistically and, 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 you know, it's going to be very interesting to see like how these things will come back and in what form because they do serve a purpose, you know, a bonding purpose and... and in humanity and in terms of community and gatherings of things, you know? Yeah, I, I worry, though, that the longer it goes, the less people are going <laughs> to... The more people will get comfortable being isolated because we're... Again, we were kind of inching that way anyways with our, you know, cyber... Cyborg, you know, phones that become a computer that we engage with more like how many times have you gone out and see people on a you know at a dinner and they're both on their phones not even talking to each other that or used to be unusual it's not anymore you know, right it's like a, this, you remember when you would look at it and you'd be like oh my god they're just on their phone now you're like yep there, there they go <laughs> and like when you go see shows i was just talking to a musician about um i went to art um, our Basel Miami and my brother and I went out late night to see a show and um, everyone had their fo- this this guy was like doing a DJ set and he was on there was no stage or anything it was just in the middle of this like bar and um, everyone crowded around him and every single person had the phone up taking video so it looked almost like fireflies and like you couldn't see him and it was so bizarre like and and I grew up I mean not to sound old but you know I grew up in like indie gigs in basements where you'd be crammed in there and everyone's just, you know, trying to get as close to the band as possible and, and moving around. And, and, you know, there was no thought of like taking photos or what, there would always be the one guy at all the shows who had like a nice camera who would take these great photographs, you know, (laughs) and they would show up on like, you know, in a zine, like two months later or something. And now it's like, everyone's got the phones up. You can't even see what's happening. And you know, it's almost like we were inching towards that. And now it's just, I don't know, it's, it, people are going to become more and more comfortable being uncomfortable around people. I don't know if you saw that photograph, I think it was in, in the UK, it was an outdoor festival, and they made these little metal pods that people would go in that are six feet apart. So it's almost like a drive-in, but it's just like these little risers that are like, it, like a little balcony thing for each group of people. And they were just, you know, out, and then you know, someone posted this image of it. And then I was reading some of the comments and people were like, yeah, you know, that doesn't sound so bad. Like I kind of hate going to shows and getting crushed up front and this, you know, we could sit down and just experience it, you know, quietly. And which is like the opposite of what going to a concert really is about. But I don't know, maybe we're, maybe we're going to, 
Right. Well, maybe we're, we're going to evolve into, you know, that being our experience of things, you know? Well, we'll never go back to what it was. It will be something other than it is now and something other than right. it was. Yeah, I guess I guess that's evolution or something. Remember when you, go, you used to go to a movie theater and there would just be rows of seats? I, I went to a movie... Uh, out with the in-laws and like you reserve your seats and they're like these giant recliners and you have like you're you are social distance this is before the pandemic you know what i mean and it's it's kind of like it's not like the way you know you went to see a movie you know and now it's just it, it's like your living room basically exactly or your living rooms become the movie theater too right but then again, I and and I fall victim because when I do that, I'm like, well, this is kind of nice, you know. I don't want to be, you know, have like the ten year old kid behind me kicking my chair the whole movie, <laughs> just be irritated the whole time, you know. But then like everyone in your aisles on their phone, and you see the glow of the phone while they're watching the movie, so you know, you can't win. <laughs> so are are you are you still? I, I'm gonna guess yes, but are you still an avid music fan? Oh yeah. What's your, are you diverse in it or what's your? Well, I love all music and I, you know, constantly listen, you know, um, listening to various podcasts and yeah. uh, Jeff Tweedy wrote the introduction to this book and I really admire him and Wilco, I'm a very big fan and I do feel like this is really nice relationship between their music and my photographs, a similar kind of um, sense of um, beauty and sadness, you know. Um, yeah. And so that was great to get to know him. And uh, That's really cool. When did you first meet him? Um, well, I've been a huge Wilco fan for a long time, and I th um, they do these... Uh, I'm sure you know solid sound shows uh, yeah. um, at Mass Mocha, and um, and I, I, I think I got to know him through that. And we've been wanting to do something for some time, so this is it's, this is a, a really great occasion. He wrote a really beautiful, very short and powerful intro to the, this book. Don't you love it when like a musician writes something about art? It's just immediately to me, it becomes more interesting <laughs> than like an art critic or something. No offense guys, but there's something really cool about the way musicians respond to images. Well, particularly like, you know, Wilco has been like kind of a soundtrack to me for so long. And um, so it was great to actually have that um, manifest. But I yeah, still listen to music constantly and uh, very interested in, you know, read Pitchfork and all the various, um, you know, I'm always trying to keep engaged. Yeah. I, I had thought maybe you crossed paths with him because I remember in New Haven in in 1999, I want to say, um, when I was a student. Um, so I was in a band when I was there, and we played Rudy's, and we had a side project that was a Latin jazz band, but it was a bunch of white kids. 
and um, we played Rudy's, and I think it was Jeff, it was someone from Will Club, I believe it was Jeff who showed up at our show, which was kind of funny to be playing, you know, Rudy's, and there's like a million people jammed in there, and then someone reaches over and said, hey, the guy from Wilco's here watching the show, <laughs> and I had guessed they played maybe Toads or something, and then they came over after, which was pretty cool. I've been to both places, to- Toads and Rudy's, and um, yeah, I saw some great sh- shows there over the years, actually. Yeah, Rudy's was a fun place to play, you know. Yeah, I saw it like Dump Truck and other interesting bands from that period. Yeah. And that was a um, a good f- photo period. I mean, we had a lot of friends who were in the photo department, and there was a lot of energy going on then. Yeah, yeah. that's great. And a lot of great people came out of that. Who, I think, I don't know what it was, but a lot of them... You know, a lot of people I knew in photo were really interested and ended up like doing a lot of traveling across the country and taking photos, you know, out in the wild, so to speak. Well, photographers are by nature are travelers. I mean, I don't include myself in that because I'm pretty much a homebody, but I think there's something about the the process of making pictures, which is very connected to sort of a certain kind of rootlessness. Yeah, and seeing like foreign, like seeing something new is nice, you know, new landscapes and new places. I, I mean, when I first started, I, I grew up pretty poor and I never traveled anywhere, you know. I didn't start traveling until I, well, playing music around the country, but then also when I started showing artwork and traveling to different countries to have shows and stuff. And it really informed my work and my eye and just seeing new places. It, it becomes addictive, you know, like I, w- I would love to just travel everywhere and, and check places out and, you know, the, the different landscapes and the light. It's just, it's amazing. Unfortunately, that's not possible at the moment. No, I know. I'm hoping that, <laughs> can you tell it's been a while since I've traveled and I'm getting the itch? <laughs> I feel that you know, I, I travel, usually travel to Japan at least once a year and, and I, I miss it, you know. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, commute back and forth to Brooklyn and New Haven. Uh, but during the, essentially during the pandemic, I've been here. As I mentioned to you earlier, I, I live in uh, Great Barrington, which is in the Berkshires. And I live in a church a Methodist church from 1890 and my studio is right next door and it's a former firehouse. So I have my own little sort of uh, uh, community here, you know. Yeah, that's Um, great. How long have you been there? About 10 years. Nice. And uh, I moved from Brooklyn um, and been here uh, pretty permanently. Um, and during ordinary times, there's a lot of community commuting that I have to do, but now I'm basically here. You're zoom commuting. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) So do you, as someone who grew up in the city, I mean, do you find, as I get older, the idea of moving outside the city is more and more tempting. I love living here. And, um, 
I'm also a religious open water swimmer. I swim every day. <clears throat> it's very part of my routine, and uh, particularly during the summer months. So um, I'm sort of very connected to the landscape in various ways. And of course, I do most of my, or all of my photography in this area as well. So it makes a lot of sense for me to be here. Oh, that's good. So you're kind of, you're where you're working basically. And whenever you, like let's say you have an idea for an image I mean, front to back, is that a long-term planning thing? Or do you have collaborators in the area? Or do you have to set things up from outside? How complex is that process? It takes... um, A body of work really does, from beginning to end, take literally years. Yeah. Um, It begins um, with me just location scouting, and that could take months of just like finding the locations of what I feel can accommodate one of my pictures. You know, I'm looking for something that feels ordinary and nondescript, but also can, feels like it can also have a certain kind of formal beauty. And then through that process, images occur to me. And then I, work with my partner, Julianne, who um, we write the descriptions. She writes them. For each picture, there's a description. And then we get closer to the actual um, production. And by that time, we have then a line producer and my longtime director of photography, Rick Sands, and... Um, his whole team, and so it becomes this, you know, very, uh, sort of, you know, the productions usually last like six, seven weeks, and we have um, a, a crew of about 50 people all together, including location scouts and um, scenics and, um, and uh, lighting crew and um, all that, and so then we shoot for like six weeks. It's like a working, like a, it's like a short film, you know, or not a short film, like an independent film. And then it takes about a year to like work in post production, and we do that all here, you know, uh, painstakingly. Uh, work with my print printer who comes up and lives here. Um, and uh, we bit by bit composite the pictures and spend enormous amount of time just like trying to recreate the moment that the pictures um, what it felt like to make the picture so altogether it's about a two or three year process beginning to end the shortest period of time is the time where we're actually making the pictures, unfortunately. Right. Yeah, it's, it's, it seems dissimilar to, you know, shooting a movie front to back. Yeah. It's a very similar um, arc of like, 
conception, pre-production, production, and post-production. And then finally, at the very end of it, um, having the kind of premiere of the work, you know. Um, and then you start the process again. Yeah, but you don't have DreamWorks, I don't think, producing the thing. So, I mean, is that all you you have to do all that? I guess maybe you have, you know, it's like a, a system of working all that stuff out. It just seems like the bureaucracy of all that stuff of just lining it up and it would take forever. It's a very challenging, and, and fortunately I have galleries that help support the venture and you know but it is like never easy and um you also have to be incredibly uh inventive in terms of ways to like cut costs and like depend on the kindness of others and but there are ways to do it you know and um one of the advantages of working over and over again in a um same sort of area is that you become a kind of known figure and that the city, in this case, all the pictures were made in Pittsfield. Um, they're become much more willing to help you. Like we actually asked a lot from them in this body of work where we wanted you know, we needed to change light bulbs and street lamps and try to have not them to mow or pave. Um, so there were a lot of things that, you know, they helped us with. And, um, but that's all in the effort of like, it's all in the effort of, as I said earlier, of like trying to create a kind of vision of the world. Right. Yeah. Well, you must like it to some extent, that process, or you probably wouldn't do it that way. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, I, lo I love it, in fact. And, yeah. But also, it's the only way I know how to make pictures. It's like the way I figured it out, you know? It's like, right. um, and I guess if I didn't have to go through all of this struggle and circumstance, I wouldn't. But I haven't figured out a way not to. How not to. I mean, I do really love production and uh, I love the kind of um, just the kind of hectic quality of it and like you know things are going wrong and we're losing the light and there are weather problems and some neighbors aren't you know um, being cooperative or we have like a technical issue and you know this lift doesn't work or um, this fog machine's down or whatever, these things, you know. But in the end, like, if the picture works, there's all of that recedes and there is this moment of grace where, you know, it all makes sense and that makes it all worth it to me. Yeah, and I, I as a uh, bystander, um, I, the power of those pictures, it feels like that's what's, you know, coming from that, you know, the power of that moment. And like, you may not know, you know, I feel like, I, maybe, I, I feel like people who put that stuff into what they do, 
even if you don't know what that is, it comes off. And I mean, maybe that's kind of an idealistic viewpoint, but I feel like, you know, like the the people who really feel the work or, or really put that work into it or are dedicated to it, it comes off, you know, and you, you see that in the work, I think. And, um, and uh, you, your photos have that resonance. They have that, you know, um, that it feels like an inner energy of all the, the, what may look like the forces align in this moment just happens to happen almost effortlessly, but you know that there's a lot behind that, that, that there, there's a real power to that, you know, and it's, um, it's got, it's got like an energy. I remember that old, uh, that picture of Allison in the, in the flower, or like the dirt inside. I mean, that is such a, you know, strong image you know and and it has like it's it seems transcendent you know which in photography i feel like that's not it's not an easy thing to do you know well i think that like as i said at the core of it it's just like the vision is the most important thing you know the story that you you want to tell and and will into into existence in one way or another you know yeah um, it's, it's probably an annoying question, but someone's going to kick me if I don't ask it that, you know, I mean, are you tempted to do movies like full scale on movies? I mean, it, it feels like, you know, it would be a language of, of image making that you would probably be able to adapt to. I mean, maybe you have made movies, but I mean, well, there has been, you know, always the temptation and there is a project that we have been working on for some time. And ultimately, if it, um, the challenge will be, if, if, if it's possible, is to extend this world, you know, and um, the, the kind of um, open-endedness and the storytelling all together to is if, if it's possible to do it in a movie form then you know if it was everything felt right I would you know like to try it yeah. but in the meantime I'm very happy doing what I'm doing which is um, sort of continuing to make the still photograph feel like um, powerful and, and important and um, means something in this, you know, in this time. Yeah, definitely. It's funny because when I, you know, when I first started showing work and was making paintings, I was really celebrating the the tension of of the feeling that something's about to happen but you're not actually seeing it happen most of the time and um when i started doing animations um you would think oh you can make the event happen and i found myself trying to do that even in movement of like the lead up to what could happen or the moment, the quiet moments, almost subverting what usually happens in animation as like this narrative front to back story or whatever. And, um, it would be interesting if that, like, you know, as far as video or film, 
if you ever did that, if it turned into that of trying just to stretch out those moments and not have it turn into that d- definitive narrative. Yeah, well, that would be going against the current of most everything we experience now. You know? right. Right. Exactly. But there's, I feel like there's some filmmakers who play with that idea in history. One of my favorite movies is Playtime, and I feel like that movie just feels like this weird, just moments, you know? It's like leading up to nothing in a way. or so. It's just, you know, uh, anti-narrative in a sense, even though there's a narrative. To me, the most important thing is like what I always look for, whether it's like a movie or a, or a novel or a photograph or a painting, an animation, is um, a convincing world, you know, that yeah. feels... Um, deliberate and feels um, unmistakable. You know, that's, it's almost irrelevant what the genre or the medium is. I mean, that's a great achievement, like to to, to create a world that feels like um, clearly seen and, and in a certain way real, you know? Yeah. Like that's the, I think, if my work in any, you know, I think it's misunderstood in certain ways, it's, is that it's like this completely staged thing. It's, I'm not really looking to use uh, production in that way. I, 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 what I really wanted is all to disappear and to create a world that feels convincing and real and and lived in and um and i want the viewer to sort of feel like they could enter into that world and be part of it yeah no i think that comes across people just like to talk about that the others like what goes behind it you know what i mean it's kind of like the people go to see a electronic musician play and and you know like i just like to hear the music there's a lot of people come up and be like well you know what software are you using or what do you (laughs) They sort of tech out to it, you know what I mean? And be like, well, how are you making that noise? And now people are Twitch streaming how they do things. So people get really into the process of stuff, you know? Oh, absolutely. And I um, understand that completely. And I'm, you know, completely understand that photography is a technological medium and that, like, my pictures are very dependent on large-scale production and all that. But at the core of it, you know... um, I want it, you know, I do want it to disappear, um, although I obviously love discussing it and, you know, and want people to know in a certain way of how the process was, how the picture was made. But it's a very separate experience from standing in front of it and just absorbing it. I was going to say that that is really the power of the gallery, the quiet gallery where you walk in and you just have those images. You know, it's weird. It's funny because the more away from that um, environment I am, and you know, I've been, I've seen a couple shows, maybe like two or three shows since they started reopening. Um, you notice just how rare it is to walk into a space that's quiet, and there's only one or two people, and then there's these really, you know, vibrant, even if they're muted, vibrant images, sort of like talking to you. 
That's a very rare experience in our life. I think that's why so many people who don't know about art are freaked out by galleries because like, what the hell is this? <laughs> it's just like a weird place with just images on the wall. You know what I mean? But it's it's a really powerful, introspective, uh, rare thing in our world. Yes, absolutely. And, and really fulfills an important need that we, we all have. And that is to like connect to something outside of ourselves and have that moment of deliberation and uh, clarity. Yeah. Well, so when are people, when does the show open that you're going to hang? The show actually opens on September 24th and will run into through November, I believe. Oh, that's a good stretch. Um, and I think it will be open to by appointment primarily. Yeah. Although people are going out now, you know, cautiously are going to galleries now. I, I'm assuming based on people photographing, you know, posting pictures from shows socially responsibly, you know, um, checking out art, which is good, you know. It'll be an interesting... Um, being really, I'm very interested to see how the pictures will exist in this world that we're in. Yeah, it's like you said. It's good. I think you alluded to it's. It's an odd um, reverberation between those that feeling of isolation that, that should be really, uh, really engaging. I think. Great. Well, how else can people otherwise people check out your website? It's the best place to see your work. Uh, I actually don't have a website, but... Or the gallery website, I guess. Yeah, and um, there will be a book of these pictures uh, published by Aperture, as I mentioned with Jeff Tweedy writing the intro. And, yeah. Um, and we're going to make our best efforts to have the pictures exist out in the world as well. Yeah, that's great. Sounds cool. I mean, I wish I could see the show. Where are you, by the way? <laughs> I'm in Brooklyn. Well, I'm the in... show will open in New York at some point. So I'll, you know, it's a question of when. Cool. Well, it was great talking to you. I really enjoyed it. Thank it you. It was really in, amazing, interesting, lots of twists and turns. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs>